All right, so if we look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, um, so this kind of goes along with the last two. Um, so we kind of talked about, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, we have a decision whether we're going to take the easy and wide road or we're going to take the more difficult and narrow road. And the narrow road is not something that we're just going to stumble on by accident, um, but it's something that we have to choose to follow Jesus to follow. And he goes directly into that, into a warning against following false teachers, false prophets. You know, there are going to be those that, you know, say things that aren't in line with God. And those that may, and the, the amazing thing about what Rex talked about last week um, is as we look at that passage, the idea that a lot of times false prophets don't know they're false prophets. Um, and so they get to Jesus and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, and so, I mean, my biggest takeaway from last week was just that idea of like, you know, when we search the power, uh, when we search the power gifts, the power gifts are not a fruit of the Spirit. Um, that we should be moving in the fruit of the Spirit. And if our whole focus is on, look at these miracles, look at these signs, you know, look at me saying what God is saying to everybody, and we miss out on the fruit of the Spirit, we miss Jesus entirely. Um, very, very rarely do we see, really we don't see Jesus do anything that is screaming for attention, hey, look at me. Jesus is not actively trying to draw crowds today. And I think today we have this mentality that we need to do the miracles, we need to do the wonders because that's what draws crowds. Never once do we see Jesus trying to perform a miracle to draw crowds. He performs miracles to meet the needs of those hurting in front of him. The, the only time that we see Jesus do something really big that draws attention is when he makes the whip and he turns over the tables of the money changers. So when he goes and confronts the religious elite directly, that's the one big, you know, bombastic show that we can say where Jesus is really drawing attention to himself. But never once is he, hey crowd, look at me, look at what I can do, come and follow me but we see him do the exact opposite. When he does perform a miracle and crowds start to follow them, he'll say something like, uh, only those who eat my flesh and drink my blood can really follow me, and he'll thin the crowds back out. Um, and so I think sometimes we, we just by habit, um, just by culture, we can end up doing some really worldly things to try to bring crowds because we want a, we, we want a good response, we want a good reaction um, but unfortunately, when we, when we do ungodly things, um, the ends can never really justify the means if you're with Christ. Right. And so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount to me is just, you know, one of the, one of the big lessons I've learned by breaking down the Sermon on the Mount week to week and just really looking at it is that idea of the ends never justify the means. The heart always comes through. And it's the heart, not the results, that matter to God. We can, we can have the best results, we can grow, we can do all the big things, but if the heart's not in the right place, if we're not serving God and doing it for the right reasons, it means little to God. It separates us from Him instead of draws Him close. And so we saw that last week, and this week we're going to kind of, I think this week is a good summation of the whole Sermon on the Mount with the idea um, that what are we building on? What's our foundation? What does that look like for us? And uh, are we confusing who has authority? Uh, so let's look at the, the scripture. 
is that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes, not as their scribes. And so the first thing kind of as we look at this, uh, the very ending of it struck me as far as Jesus goes to the Sermon on the Mount. So this is all the way back to the Beatitudes in Matthew, in Matthew 5. So we do Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And at the end of all that, it says the crowds looked on Jesus because he taught as one who had authority, not as one of their scribes. Um, so the scribes were um, the part of the, the Jewish community that had the responsibility of copying down the Old Testament text. And this was a sacred thing because... Um, they didn't have a printing press, so any Torah, any Bible that they had, had been hand-copied from generation to generation to generation. Um, so a scribe wasn't a job just for anybody, um, but it was, uh, it was a sacred position that you trained for, and that was a position of honor. So these were people that worked hard to know the, to know the, <laughs> to know the Old Testament, to know the text. Um, and so essentially... Um, in, I think we were in the fourth or third grade, we got to go to uh, one of the Jewish temples in Shreveport, and they pulled out, they have a cart, and it looks like one of the carts in gym that hold all the basketballs, except it was like twice as tall and twice as long, and they pulled it out, and on it were just these scrolls, and that was the Old Testament to them. And so they could pull any one of the prophets, any one of the five books of the Torah, out and unroll it to read it. Um, and so this was what they had kind of to read the Old Testament. So these were the scribes. They would copy down the scrolls. And it wasn't pages like we turn, but it was a long rolled up scroll. Um, and so if you get to the end of Deuteronomy and you mess up the last line, that whole thing gets thrown away and you start again. Um, so that's why the scribe was such a cherished position because they had a lot of responsibility yeah, yeah, it gives me anxiety, yeah. And so as we look at that, as we think about that, I just want to think about that's, that's what he's saying is they taught as one who had authority. Why? Because he's not stating something that someone else is. He's stating something that's his own message. And so I, I just want to say one, one a lot of times we can, we can kind of get mixed up, and I've heard this verse used of, you know, like, well, we, we have the Holy Spirit, so we have power, we have the authority and so we just have to speak with boldness. And I, I just want to caution, go, whoa, 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 whoa. We have the Holy Spirit, and I believe we have boldness. Um, but to say we have the same authority in our words as Jesus um, is, is, I think, a misstep. I think what I take from that as we look at the difference between scribes and Jesus is there's only one Jesus. There's only one authority. There's only one word. And that is foundational. That is authoritative. Everything else... Um, submits to that. Um, so in my teaching and Rex's teaching and Jimmy's teaching and Michelle's and Courtney's, um, 
uh, and Tammy's, any time that we teach from the word um, in the church, all of that is in submission to the Bible. Um, all of that is in submission to Jesus. And so does that mean we always have the same interpretation? No, but we should always fight and struggle to go back to the word and discuss out interpretations. Does that mean we're going to get everything right? No, um, but there's a difference between <laughs> there's a difference between me standing up here and going, "Thus says the Lord, believe everything I say, don't question me," and me going, "The Bible's our foundation, and we may still get things wrong, but we will always go back to the Bible as our foundation because I'm not perfect, you know. None of the pastors here are perfect. We are just men and women. Uh, God is perfect. Jesus is perfect. So we will always fight to go back to the influence of Jesus, to the influence of the word, and every decision we make and every time we teach, because that's where the authority lies, is in Jesus. That doesn't mean if I have the Holy Spirit, I can stand up here and speak with power, and this verse says the same thing about me as it does Jesus. Not at all. This, this verse talks about Jesus, the Logos. That's what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. That Greek word for word is Logos. Um, and so when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about the Logos Word of God, the, the written Word of God. And so that holds the authority. Um, but all that to say, I think that speaks into this idea of build your house on the rock. Um, because as we've looked through week to week, Jesus says some really challenging things that continually challenges the audience, challenges the reader to look inside of our hearts and go, um, are we really moving and working with Jesus at the center, with Jesus at the core, or are we doing things for our own benefit? Um, and so, so often, um, you know, I think I'm good, I'm good, I'm doing this for Jesus, I'm doing this for Jesus. And we would come across teachings in the Sermon on the Mount where, where there's that little check like, oh, man, I didn't get that quite right. Um, you know, when we're talking about like not judging others or not getting angry and we're kind of like, oh, man, you know, that idea of we may come to church and have everything together. But in our heart of hearts, are we really fully submitted to Christ? Is he really one directing? Do we really count each other more significant than ourselves? Are we really moving um, in that level of faith. And so it's a challenge. So I think it's important that we understand at the end of all that, as Jesus says, these really important, challenging things, um, I, I think the whole basis to living this out is found in this last passage. And that's if Jesus is our foundation, all right, if he's the thing we build on, then we can withstand mistakes. All right, we can, we can withstand uh, me sinning against one of you. We, we can withstand us getting a text wrong. All right? If Jesus is not our foundation, if we try to build the foundation of this church on me, then if I get things wrong or I fall away, the church is crumbled. It's gone. It's non-existent. All right? So we can see the difference between are we building on Jesus, are we building on ourselves or someone else? So, so many times I think young Christians... Um, they get enamored with a, um, with a charismatic leader, and they put their faith in that leader, not in Jesus, and that leader stumbles and falls away, and so do they. Or that leader says something that hurts them or wounds them, and they fall away because they built faith on that person and not on the personhood of Jesus. And so as we look at this passage, 
Um, there's three things I think it kind of shows us as far as how do we build, how do we build our faith on the rock? How do we build that foundation? Uh, and one is to follow Jesus, two is to be doers of the word, and three is to look for the cracks in our life. Um, and so to follow Jesus, and, and the first thing I think is in following Jesus, we have to have that uh, understanding of authority. Um, so I love that Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house on the rock. So the, the reason that's the rock, Jesus is saying, if you hear my words and you do my words, that means you're following me. So that's the idea of, of I mean, he's really talking about discipleship. So disciple means to literally be a follower of Jesus. And how do we know who's a follower of Jesus? Jesus says, you will be my, they will know you're my disciples if you hear and obey my word. All right, so if we obey Jesus, we're found to be his disciples. We're following him. And so to follow Jesus, one, we have to understand that authority, that ultimately the authority is on Jesus. That's why we continually say week in and week out, um, we are not shepherds, we are under shepherds. There's only one true shepherd, and that is Jesus. And for a long time, I got that so wrong of I looked at a church of I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, you need to follow me, you need to do what I say. Um, and the only problem with that is it's so easy to take that statement and put that pastor, that shepherd, as the head, as the be-all, end-all. When really, my job is not to be your shepherd, my job is to guide you to the shepherd. Um, so I'm an under-shepherd, I'm a helper. I'm going, sheep, follow that guy. You know, I'm, I'm the sheepdog that comes around the edge and tries to push everybody towards Jesus. That's... That's my role as the faithful servant dog in the picture, not the shepherd. And so we can get that mixed up, but it's understanding that authority. And so as we look at this, um, as we really understand the authority and the personhood of Jesus, we all understand um, that while some of us may have been Christians longer, some of us may know the Bible better, some of us may have different gifts than other, we're all following the same Jesus we're all submitting to the same Lord. So the idea is not that I'm leading you, but that we're following Jesus together. And that's what makes a cohesive church. That what's, that's what makes a body where no one piece of the body tries to overpower the other, but we all work together in harmony because we understand that authority. And so when we understand the authority, it's easier to follow Jesus and so the other thing is we look, <laughs> we look at the, the foundation. Um, and so I just love that verse 25 says, um, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fail because it had been founded on the rock. So that word founded in the Greek could be translated to it had been established on the rock. So what have we been established on? And so uh, I think a lot of times when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he's pointing out things, a lot of times when he's trying to work through that sanctification process in us, there's that idea of what have we been founded on. And I think sometimes when we get those revelations or those epiphanies from Jesus, what he's doing is he's peeling back layers and he's going, hey, right here, you have a foundation on something else. All right, you're trying to put your trust in something else. And so the things that we place faith in, they become our foundation. Um, they become that foundation. And so if we have faith or hope in something, it becomes a foundation. So remember, Hebrews 11 talks about um, 
faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance um, literally means uh, the foundation coming in afterwards, um, supporting, lifting up. So faith um, is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is the things that lift up and hold your hopes up. And so whatever we place that faith, faith will follow that hope. So if my hope is really in money and finances, all right, if that's where my life direction is going and, and I'm saying, well, if I just could get that next raise, if I could just could get this paid off or this secure, then my life would be better. That may be true, but a lot of times it shows where our faith is. You know, if our hope is that I'll win the lottery, that means I have faith that's coming in to lift up that hope. And so my faith, my foundation is something other than Jesus. All right. If it's not, if I had money, that would be nice, but my life is really no different. So money plus Jesus is really no different than no money in Jesus. You know, nice house in Jesus is really no different than no house in Jesus. Um, and so when we get that understanding, that means we have that firm foundation in Jesus. So uh, we need to look at the foundation of, of, of what we're doing, of our lives, of the work that we're in, and see, is that foundation, is that something that's established on Jesus, or are we serving and moving towards something that's established on our desires, or established on one person? Um, are we moving and, and working in things that are established in Jesus? And, and then finally... Um, how we know we're following Jesus is exactly what Rex talked about last week, is how do you know the difference between a prophet and a false prophet? You look at the fruit. You look at the fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so if we're not following Jesus, if our foundation isn't something else, we're not going to bear the foundation. Uh, we're not going to bear the fruit of the foundation of Jesus. So we can look at that. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All right, and it's not, maybe I have a few of those things, but it's, is my life growing in all those things? So I'm not saying we have to be perfect in them. Obviously, we're not. But if our foundation is really in Jesus, those things should be there and should be increasing. So if there's no peace in my life, if I can't find my peace, then that means I have a foundation somewhere other than Jesus. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we have to follow Jesus to build our house on that rock. Um, and then the next thing is be doers of the word. Um, so if we claim to follow Jesus, if we claim he's our foundation, but we don't do anything Jesus says to do, are we really following Jesus? So it's like when you talk to your kids um, or you talk to a kid, any kid, and you're like, hey, you need to do this. And they go, uh-huh, and then do something else entirely. You, you walk away going, did they even listen to me um, or not? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if we expect to be called followers of Jesus, that means we actually have to do what he says. In James 1, it says this. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who, intently, uh, who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Um, and so when we look at this, true faith involves doing.
doing. True faith involves action. If there's no action to accompany the faith, it's not really faith at all. And so if we really want to follow Jesus, that actually listening to him and doing what he says, that's why Jesus says every one then who hears these words, so we listen and does them, will be like the wise man. So it's not just enough to hear the word. And I think that's why we can have churches full of people who every week hear the Bible, hear a message from God, but unless they actually take that and put it into action, we have churches full of people who are hearing the word, but no disciples because they're not doing the word. And so that's the connection is it has to be both. You have to both hear and do to be a disciple of Christ. And so James says, basically, if you hear the word and you don't do it, it's like someone who stares at a mirror, knows their face, and then walks away and completely forgets their face. And so essentially it's the idea of what's really the point? Uh, I heard a pastor say one time that church is the worst social club ever. Um, like if that's what you want at it, there's lots of better places to go for a social club. If it's just about getting to know people, being seen, and the interactions, there's lots of other places that you can do that with that the purpose of the community of Christ is that we challenge each other to grow together. We challenge each other to follow Christ, to not just hear the word, but to also do it. That's why discipleship is so important in the church. It's important not just to you know, come to church, but it's important to follow up, to go, man, am I living this out? Do I need some help in some areas? Do I need some interaction? Um, Michelle and I have long talked, my favorite part of church is not the Sunday service. My favorite part of church is the men's meeting um, because that's the time where we actually get to talk about how's your week going? How's your life going? What are you struggling with? What are you succeeding in? What are you failing in? What do you really think this passage means? You know, at, at church, we get to encourage one another. We get to worship, and those are great things. We get to pray to one, with one another. Um, but I love the men's meeting even more because we get to really sit and discuss. We get to really get real with our lives and what's going on. And to me, I think that's where this is really an aspect of not just hearing it, but living it out, but doing it together. Um, and so we want to be doers of the word. And so really, when you look at following Jesus and being doers of the word, um, those are really saying the same thing. It's just an emphasis. And so if I'm not a doer of the word, I'm not really following Jesus. Uh, but I think sometimes we need to clarify that because... Uh, we live in such a bubble of cultural Christianity um, that it's easy to know things about Christ. It's easy to know things about church. It's easy to know the language. And we can even say the language and mean entirely different things. You don't really know until you get in and live out this life together. Um, you know, so many times when we look at Scripture, um, often there are things in Scripture that uh, appear to be contradictory to each other. All right, so we have scripture that talks about like Jesus is peace, you know, not not just peaceful, but he's the very defini definition of peace. But then we have scripture that says Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but but a sword. So how do you know when? How do you know when when to bring peace and how do you know when to bring a sword? Because both can't be true all the time. And so obviously there's aspects of scripture that when you take just in a bubble are going to be in conflict with one another. But when you live out with the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the entirety of Scripture and a body of Christ, then it becomes more clear, where am I bringing peace and where am I bringing a sword? 
Where am I moving in works of power and where am I moving in word and, and, and love and joy? And so if we just take scripture at the face value of it, we're constantly thrown back and forth. It's when we live out scripture in conjunction with one another that it becomes a living word, not, not just a written word. And so, so many times we take that idea of scripture is a living word and we think that means like the text is, is alive. No, the text is, is a text. The living part comes when we read it and we put it into action. That's when the Holy Spirit brings that word alive is when we actually become the hands and feet of Jesus. So this isn't meant just to be read in a vacuum or just to be read. It's meant to be read, talked about, and then lived out, and it becomes a living word. Um, so we need to be doers of the word. So the last thing is we follow Jesus. Um, we become doers of the word. And the last thing is we look for the cracks. We look for the cracks. And so, so many times I think, uh, you know, we think our house is built on a foundation. And then we're like, okay, we're good. We're on the rock. Um, and then something happens and the ground shifts. And all of a sudden we notice cracks in our life. And so when a house foundation begins to shift, you often don't notice anything on the foundation level. So if I went outside and walked around my house and looked at the foundation, everything may look fine. I may not notice any difference whatsoever. But if I walk inside and the, the foundation have shifted with the door frames and the windows, I'll see cracks in the wall. So the first thing we notice is not the foundation itself, but we notice cracks on the things built on the foundation. And so a lot of times when we have issues in our life, I think what's happening is the, the, the cracks in our foundation are being revealed to us. And so, um, for instance, if I am, um, man, if I am just paralyzed, if I am paralyzed by shame in my walk with Christ, if I'm paralyzed by shame, in other words, I constantly feel like a failure. I constantly have doubts where I'm like, man, God doesn't really love me. No one can really love me. No one can forgive me. Those are cracks in the wall that show we have a problem with our foundation. So someone who is immobilized by shame doesn't truly understand Jesus and his grace. Because if they really understood the grace of Jesus, they wouldn't be under condemnation. They wouldn't be under shame because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so, so many times, so if I have anger issues, then I have problems in my foundation. If I can't forgive another person, then I have problems in my foundation. Because if I've been forgiven much, it should be easy for me to forgive much as well. And so, so many times, we may not notice the foundation's wrong, but we see cracks in our life. Um, and if we, don't aggress, if we don't address those cracks, so many times we, we, we look at the cracks in our life and we put Band-Aids on it. So I'm going to put some spackle on my wall. Uh, I'm going to repaint my wall, but I'm not going to fix my foundation. And the next time it rains, what comes back? The, the crack is right back. The, the spackle did nothing but cover it up. And so if I noticed, man, I have a problem with forgiveness and I just kind of sugar it off each time, it's going to come back again and again and again until I deal with that foundation. So, so many times we have these cracks. And, uh, and what Jesus says is even scarier. Um, <laughs> he says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
Right? If we leave cracks unattended, if we don't point out the issues with our foundation soon enough, if we don't address those foundations, it will destroy our whole house. So if we have issues in the church that we see, if we see cracks in the walls in the church and we don't deal with them and we don't deal with them and we don't deal with them and we don't deal with them, it'll, <laughs> it'll tear the church apart. It'll cause a split in the church if we don't deal with those cracks. And that's why we have to walk in that humility of no one's above screwing up and having to go, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up, you know? Um, when we're willing to deal, willing to deal with those foundational issues, right, we have a healthy, living, founded on Christ body. But when we're unwilling to be corrected or we're unwilling to, you know, be questioned or checked, then we are creating a system in which all we can do is fix the cracks. All we can do is put new window dressing on it, and eventually that house will fall. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Um, and so um, whether it's as we look at our life, whether we look at our church, whether we look at our, our marriage, our friendships, our, our relationships, um, all of those things, all of those tears, we should be able to hold against this picture. So in my life, is my life built on the rock of Jesus? Is he my foundation? Is my marriage built on the rock, the foundation of Jesus? All right, is the way I approach my job, is that built on the rock, the foundation of Jesus? Is this church built on the rock, the foundation of Jesus? And so many times when we see those cracks in our life, we see issues that keep coming up and coming up and coming up and coming up, and we just want to pray them away. We just want to, you know, deliverance cast it out of me, but we'd never actually deal with the problem. They're just going to keep coming back. I mean, how many times have we watched someone get delivered from the same thing over and over and over and over? Because if we get delivered, but we never actually make any real steps to change our behavior and change our attitude, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. Um, and so we have to deal with the foundation issues in our church, in our lives, uh, in our marriages, in our relationships. But most importantly, we have to deal with the cracks. We have to deal with our foundation. Uh, am I, Paul Coughlin, am I founded on Jesus? Or am I putting my faith, my trust, my hope in other things, expecting them to carry me through? Um, so I think as we close uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I just want us to remember that. That as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, we said early on, the very first lesson we said, you know, the, the whole rhythm of the Sermon on the Mount comes out to um, the kingdom is coming. What, is the, what does the kingdom look like? And, you know, and we said the kingdom coming, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. And it's not just about our actions, but it's about our heart. All right. So in our heart, as we desire things, that should look like Jesus. Um, and when we move and we act like Jesus, we'll create things like peace, like the fruit of the Spirit, like Jesus did. So as we look at this, I think this is a great summation of that message, of the different messages in the Sermon on the Mount, that we have two choices. We can build our foundation on the rock, we can build it on Jesus, or we can build it on something else. If we build our, our foundation on Jesus, it'll withstand. You know, it doesn't say the storms won't come. It doesn't say the storms won't shake the house, all right, won't blow against it. But it says in the end, it will stand. It will be established. But if we build our foundation on anything else, 
it'll be it'll fall and great was the fall of it so let's pray um dear heavenly father we just uh god i thank you for your word uh father i thank you for your uh man matthew uh five six and seven and just uh um man how an uplifting, encouraging, and challenging it has been for us as we've gone through it. I just pray that as we, uh, as we read your word, God, help us be doers of the word, not just hearers. Uh, Father, help us take this word and apply it to our lives. Father, where, where we see cracks in our, in our house this week, God, uh, in our life, in our relationships, um, Father, I just pray that you would help us, uh, Holy Spirit, dig to the bottom of that. Find what's the root of that. Find what's going on in the foundation of that. Um, Father, so that we can be founded, we can be established in you and you alone. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.